Good morning. Last week, I enjoyed a wonderfully exhausting week of hiking. So I missed you all last Sunday, but it's good to be back with you today. We are beginning this practice again. Every couple of months, we talk about practices that help us connect with Jesus. Things that we can be doing day in and day out of our lives to learn to walk with him, to experience his grace and his goodness each and every day. And we call these things practices because they're not required in your faith in order to be a Christian. But they will, like any good practice, help you to grow in the faith God has given you. They will stretch you and extend you beyond your current comfort zone and call you into something deeper with him. We've talked about this practice before, but we're beginning for, again to, to come back to this practice called Sabbath. Perhaps you've heard of it. Maybe not. Maybe your idea of Sabbath looks very different than what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. But the ultimate idea is that verse there in Matthew in that video. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Do you feel like this world is heavy and you don't know how to find peace? Come and learn from Jesus. Find in him the strength and the peace you need. About a month and a half ago, I had the honor of going to a funeral for a really, really godly man I respect. And at the funeral, his grandson, who was one of the first kids I ever taught in youth group 16 years ago now, his grandson read a poem that I want to share with you today. And what I found in looking for that poem was there's actually two versions online, and I liked them both. And rather than having you hear both versions, I just mushed them into one, okay? So this is a poem called The Dash. Perhaps you've heard it before. The service was over. All had left, and I was alone. I began to read the name and dates chiseled there on every stone. The dates were different, but the amount the same. There were two on every one. It was then I noticed something. It was but a simple line. It was the dash between the dates. Placed there, it stood for time. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real, and always try to understand how other people feel. And be less quick to anger and show appreciation more. And love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash will only last a while. It's God who gives this precious life and God who takes away. But that line between he gives to us 
to do with what we may. We know God has written the first date down for each and every one. And we know those hands will write again for the last date has to come. But upon the dash between the dates, I hope he'll write, well done. I heard that poem and it really stuck with me quite a bit. Part of the reason I go and get away for a week every year and I hike on the Appalachian Trail is because I'm a glutton for punishment and I really like to suffer. But part of it is because there's something in going and getting away that forces you to reflect. I don't know if you've ever spent any time hiking before or if you've ever spent any time hiking alone before where all you can hear is the sound of your heavy breathing and your heart beating and whatever else might be out in nature. And here in this part of the country, whatever else might be out in nature is more than capable of eating me if I'm not careful. And so every sound is a little heightened and every moment I'm a little more aware and I'm forced to deal with all the things I've been trying to run from before. See, I think for many of us in this life, we have been taught a lie that says we need to do more and be more. We have been taught a lie that says we need to fill our lives with more stuff. And our time gets consumed not only with material things, but with immaterial and often wasteful things. Usually when I go on my hike, I take a little charger battery so I can charge my phone and my watch and keep track of my steps, which really doesn't matter. And also so I can text my wife at the end of the day that a bear has not eaten me. And this year I was in a hurry to pack and I forgot the charger at home. So I had a choice to make. Do I take the phone and hope the battery lasts just long enough? Or do I leave it in my car and say, sayonara, I'll be back in a week. So I left it in my car, and all week long I kept pulling for my phone so I could take a picture and wondering if that was my wife texting when my wrist vibrated. And all week long I felt sort of naked. Have you ever felt like that without your phone? No. <laughs> Roger's probably the rare exception. He's like, no, flip phone all the way. But for most of us, this world has taught us that we need to be so connected all the time that the idea of disconnecting for a moment feels really, really uncomfortable. But when we disconnect and when we slow down, we're allowed to consider, is the life that I'm living the life I want people to talk about after I'm dead? I think for most of us, the honest answer is probably not, and certainly not all the time. As we begin the practice of Sabbath, the idea is to learn how we can regularly learn this unforced rhythm this invitation from God to slow down in the midst of all the crazy and just be with him and learn from him that he will be enough. And if all of this sounds really foreign to you, let me just throw out an idea that might indicate you need to learn to slow down. What if all week long, you purposefully drove five miles an hour below the speed limit in the right lane. 
Could you do that? I think for many of us, we're like, we'd be so late to every place. We have to go a little faster. Somebody's going the speed limit in the left lane, and we're honking at them, and like, get out of the way. I'm trying to go faster still. Or what if, even worse, you go to the grocery store this week, and you purposefully looked for the longest line with the person with the most coupons, and you got in line behind them and waited. Would that kill you? It certainly might feel like it. I'll be honest. We have been told to go so quickly all the time to do so much that the idea of just standing and waiting for three minutes with nothing to do, maybe you'd be tempted to pull out your phone so you have something to do in the wait. We've lost the art of being. And the practice of Sabbath invites us back to that. But the practice of Sabbath at its core is more than just slowing down. It's more than just being as God made us to be. It's more than purposefully doing things that cause life to put the brakes on. Now the practice of Sabbath is actually an invitation to experience more of God than perhaps you've ever experienced before. And this practice of Sabbath comes from the very beginning before sin ever entered in. So we're going to begin there in Genesis chapter 2. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. So if you open up the blue Bibles in front of you, it's probably on page like 1 or 2. Yeah, there you go. Page 2, if you want to follow along, Genesis chapter 2. If you have your own Bibles or your phones, feel free to use those. See, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates out of nothing everything. He speaks, and into nothing comes life. You want to talk about a big bang? Imagine speaking into a silent, empty universe and everything coming to be. God speaks, and there is life, and there is earth, and there are stars, and there's all sorts of good things. And then he slows down enough not just to speak, but with his hands to shape and form mankind to breathe his life into us. And after all of this creation, which he has declared good, over and over again comes these verses. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Does anybody ever go to work on a Monday and wish it was still the weekend? Or like you have that weekend hangover, and I'm not talking about an actual hangover, the one that's like, oh, I didn't get done all the things I needed to do, the lawn is still looking like a mess, the laundry's piling up, there's dishes everywhere, and now I have to go back to work, and Monday just feels rough. See, most of the time when we rest from our work, it's not actual rest. It's simply temporarily not doing work and doing something else in its stead. God creates everything, and then it says he stopped to rest. Is it because God was tired? 
I don't think so. I don't think the God who can speak and create an entire universe is tired simply from speaking. No, God rested on the seventh day to create in the very fabric of this world a rhythm that if you and I are in tune to, life will go better. See, we cannot simply live working for the weekend where all we do is hope the weekend comes and when the weekend's over, we wish there was more weekend because we will never find satisfaction and we will never find ourselves full if that is our goal. But God, he rested from his labor because everything was finished. When I first read this, it's really tempting for me to say, well, yeah, obviously God finished his work. I would rest too if my work was finished. But anybody ever feel like your work never gets finished? You show up on Monday and the list is three times longer than you left it on Friday and you wonder, how did this happen? Because nobody was here over the weekend. Your to-do list is never the to-done list. It just keeps growing. It's easy to say, well, God rested because he was finished, but I think there's more than that here. For the first time in all that God has said and done in Scripture, the first instance of this word comes in verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. We often think of holy as something like holier than thou, some kind of self-righteous better than, but holy is not that. The idea of something being holy in Scripture is this idea that it is set apart, that is unlike anything else in creation, even that it is unlike anything else you and I could ever conceive of. God looks at the seventh day and he blesses it and he makes it different than all the rest. Set apart. Why? For most of human history, we have sought after God in some way or fashion. And oftentimes, we have thought that the way we find God is in a certain place, be it a temple, a cathedral, a church building, be it some space that God is confined in. And through most world religions, we have sought after God by seeking that place, the mountaintop, where if only we can climb high enough, there we can encounter God. When it's not the space that we seek to encounter God in, we often seek to find God in the experience and the emotion. If only I have that meaningful time where I feel connected to God, then things will be better. If I can fabricate all the feelings and the emotions and the things that really I think God would do in me, then it's good. But in Genesis, God tells us that it's not in specific spaces or emotions or even objects that we find God. We don't need holy relics or buildings. No, we find God here in the holy, in time itself. Have you ever thought about that? An eternal, timeless God created time as we know it so that in our rhythm of life, we could be with him. We could experience his goodness and know his love. We could walk in the peace that he has to give. 
Now, this idea of Sabbath, it is just one day a week of resting. And we're going to talk in the weeks to come of what that rest looks like and how you do that rest and where, what you may or may not do during that rest. And I promise you, it's not a legalistic thing. Like some of the Jewish people took this so seriously that in Jesus' day, they would walk no more than a thousand steps and then they would stop and wait until the Sabbath was over for fear that they had worked too much on the Sabbath. That's not what I think God intends with a day of rest. No, he intends for a regular rhythm in which we stop and we pause all the other things, all the noise, all the to-dos, all the things we try to control, and we simply rest with him. And in that rest with him, we realize that nothing is actually in our control. But likewise, everything is in his. And from that day of rest, we find that the rest of the week is actually transformed and the rest of the week becomes better because we have a rhythm of being with God. The rest of the week is filled with more joy. In fact, in the Jewish practice of Sabbath, those who practice it regularly, what they find is that the first three days after the Sabbath is spent thanking God for the rest they had. And the following three days leading up to the Sabbath are spent preparing to rest. And I don't mean preparing to rest like i got to do one more thing to get it in. But looking ahead saying, God, I know there's a promise of rest coming. Let that sustain me. I believe that if you and I begin to practice Sabbath regularly, to set aside time to be with God more than just an hour and 20 minutes because I'm long-winded on Sunday mornings, when we make a whole day of your stopping and resting, we will discover that every day becomes easier to navigate and to carry through. God blesses this day and makes it holy. On my hike, having lots of time for introspection, some of the time was spent thinking about things that were really deep and profound about my own life and that little dash of my life, the way I want to be remembered and how I can be a better dad and husband and pastor and a whole host of things like that. And other times, my mind wandered to all kinds of random thoughts. So here's one little random thought I had while hiking and thinking about today and a whole host of other things I thought I'd share with you. How many of you in here like science? I do. I think science is neat. There's a lot I don't understand, but I think the idea of, of learning and discovering new things is awesome. Maybe you've heard of the theory of relativity that the closer you get to the speed of light, the slower time goes. And one of my random thoughts while, while pondering on the trail this week was, if God, as Scripture says, is clothed in inapproachable light... I wonder if the closer we get to him, the slower time goes for us as well. Which is why perhaps when we're near him for eternity, it can feel like just a moment. And when we're without him for just a moment, it can feel like forever. See, I wonder if part of why life seems to always go faster the older you get, years fly by faster and faster and faster, I wonder if it's because we get so busy being whatever we're told to be 
and doing whatever we think we need to do, that no matter how much we know of God, we cease to simply be with him and experience all that he has to refresh us and slow us down and say, it will be okay. In the book of Hebrews, there's this promise that's written about this very Sabbath day. And in chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, he talks about how the Jewish people, in all of their doing, in all of their practicing of the law, and all of their stuff they tried to do to be with God, they never experienced that final Sabbath rest as they had been promised. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. It says this, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, that is the rest God has to give, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I love this in Hebrews. There is still a rest to be given. And God gives us a name for that rest. Today. Today, do not let your hearts be hardened. Let us strive to enter that rest. For the word of God is living and active. I believe that part of the practice of Sabbath for you and me is not just slowing down from the chaos and the busy and the need for control in this life. Part of it is looking towards the life to come. And we see in one day set aside a promise that there is coming a day when we will be at rest from all of our labors. All of our toil and our strife and our struggle against sin, all of our desire to love our neighbor more, all of the, the labor we have to try to be who God calls us to be, there will come a day when we will be at rest from all of our labors. All of the attacks of the enemy, of sickness, of our mind and of our body, all of the anxiety and all of the depression and all of the fear and all of the things that plague us day in and day out, there will come a day when we will be at rest from all of that. And the regular rhythm of Sabbath today invites us to experience a future promise now. 
invites us to experience the promise that God is big enough and in control enough to do all the things we need and we can simply trust in him and sit with him and be in our time now, however long it is, preparing for an eternity with him. And when we practice Sabbath, we actually experience a little bit of heaven on earth now. Knowing that one day, all of this will come to pass. And for all eternity, we'll be with him and nothing will separate us from him. See, the practice of Sabbath is not a legalistic thing you have to do. It's an invitation by God, come to me, all who are weary and worn out. You will find rest. The book of Hebrews goes on to describe that this final Sabbath, this ultimate rest that we strive to enter into, it ultimately comes not by any of our striving and getting it right, but by a God who has come in time at just the right time to be flesh, to take on all of our human form, to experience everything we have experienced. The temptations and the trials and the hurts and the grief and the pain, all of it. That he could bear it upon his shoulders and declare to you and me today, it is finished. Come all who are weary and you will find rest. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of rest. God, in this busy world that's telling us more, 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 Teach us to learn the unforced rhythms of slowing down and being with you. That we may discover you not in a certain place or through certain objects or through certain experiences, but that we may discover you in the very time that you have created. In the fabric of reality, Lord, may we pause. And may you be enough for us. Lord, we pray today for all who need healing, who are at labor against sickness in this world. We pray today for your healing, Lord. For Carolyn, who fell this morning and broke her hip. God, bring her your rest and your healing. For Michael and Rachel and Tanya and Adam's dad and Corby's mom and all who are dealing with cancer, Bring them rest from their labors and peace with you. Lord, we pray for Krista and her car accident. May she find you in this time of healing. We pray for Dan and for Susan as Susan continues to heal from her surgery and as Dan deals with troubles at work. God, may they find your rest and your peace in this time. May we live as a people not hurried and busy, but freely able to give to others the rest you've given to us. Now, Lord, we pray together as you taught us to pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Every week we collect an offering in this place, and we believe an offering is an opportunity to partner with God in the work that he is doing in and through this community. So if you call this your church home, and you came prepared today to give an offering, if you... If you prefer to do so with cash or check, you can do so in the little black boxes as you exit on your way out. Also, if you filled out one of those teal cards that say connect on the top with a way we can be praying for you or um, with contact information so we can connect with you throughout the week, you can place those in the boxes as well. If you're somebody who prefers to give electronically and you came prepared to give today that way, you can do so at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions, and I'll do my best to respond. So, Blake, what kind of questions came in today? First up, can you hear me? Oh, there I am. What are we standing on, and why is he here? Hey, if you notice things look a little different this week, we have a really cool opportunity starting next week. Uh, There's actually a a TV production called uh, Appalachian Sessions Live, where they do a series of live concerts for kids with local artists who've made it big. And uh, it's meant to encourage kids and help them grow um, just with this sense of like, hey, I, I can do it too, even through hard things. And so they are going to be filming a series of six live shows in here in the month of October. Um, and so they asked, can we build an extension to your stage? And if you like it, you can keep it. And we said, if you're paying for it, by all means. So. That's what we're standing on. Um, Starting next Monday, October 2nd, will be the first of the six shows. Uh, And it should be a pretty neat opportunity to connect with the community and use this space differently than we normally do. Sweet. Uh, Next question is, I'm familiar with Dante's Inferno and his seven levels of hell. A friend of ours mentioned a sermon she had or heard referring to the seven levels of hell. I can find no biblical basis for this, and can you explain? Partially. Uh, the, the easy answer is I've never actually read Dante's Inferno. Um, so I can't speak to it too specifically because I just know the abstract people have told me about it. I know some pastors really love it and some really hate it. And what is the biblical explanation of the levels of hell? Having not read it, I can't tell you that. My idea from what people have shared with me is not so much that the Bible actually has levels of hell, but that our, our suffering and our misery in life without God um, seems different depending on what we do and why we've done it. So uh, this has been on my, my reading list for a while because a pastor friend of mine has really, really strongly encouraged I read it. So maybe at some point I read it and we can have a more riveting discussion about Dante's Inferno. All right? Cool. Uh, next question is, if people believe in Jesus Christ but commit adultery and treat everyone horribly Monday through Saturday, uh, then they feel that Sunday their sins are wiped away. Do you feel those individuals will make it to heaven? Is believing in Jesus enough to get someone to heaven? This is the really uncomfortable thing about about grace and about Jesus. 
Yes. You can be the worst of sinners all the time, seven days a week, and Jesus is still enough to forgive you. But I like to consider it like if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon or other great viewpoints where you can see, sometimes they have maybe a fence on the edge of the viewpoint. And the fence is not there to take away from the beauty. It's there to caution you on the other side of this fence might be death. And now you could sit on top of the fence and hold onto the fence and get a view where you feel free and everything's safe. And maybe you're safe and you don't fall to your death or maybe you do. You could stand on the other side and lean forward and look down and see the cannon and go, wow, look how free I am. And maybe you don't fall to your death or maybe you do. So you can be the worst of people. In fact, I certainly am the worst of people. And God will forgive you. And yet, there's this paradox that if we purposefully then seek to stretch how far he can forgive us, by going out of our way to continue doing what is wrong, it's like leaning over that fence and saying, but I'm still not dead yet. You know the thing about falling a great distance is? You're not dead the whole way you fall. It's only when you hit the bottom. And so I'm not going to say that if you're still living in sin, you can't be Christian, but I will say that if you're knowledgeable of your sin and not taking it to Jesus and asking for him to change you, you're running a dangerous risk. Great answer. Um, Next one is, hey church family, I'm watching from my hospital room, and I just wanted you to know how much I look forward to the day that I get to see you and worship with you again. Most importantly, the day we get to share a really big hug. Happy Sunday, sweet peeps. Adam, you just made me cry. My family uses that poem at just about every family funeral service, and well done. Thank you. We love you. We look forward to you joining us again when you're feeling better. Uh, next question is, as Christians, should we celebrate Halloween? Maybe. What are you celebrating? Uh, there's a whole lot of history of Halloween that is not so godly, and you should certainly not partake in that thing, those things. Like, um, some of you know firsthand the dangers and the reality of witchcraft. Like, that's not good. You should probably stop doing that. Um, But there's also a cultural side of Halloween that really has nothing to do with pagan worship. Uh, And the cultural side actually creates an opportunity where we as Christians can love our neighbors really well. So one of the things my family does every year for Halloween is we invite all of our neighbors to come sit around a fire pit. And we just sit there with a fire and we have hot dogs and we just hand out candy to whoever comes by. And uh, it's a great way to connect with the neighbors and serve And a few years ago, we were doing this, and we brought hot dogs, and the neighbor brought pizza, and then we had all this candy, and then we had this group of like 12 kids come up with their families, and they were so excited, and they're getting hot dogs and s'mores and all this stuff. And and then I said, oh, where in the neighborhood do you guys live? And they said, we don't. And I realized they had driven into the neighborhood for Halloween, and I, I never thought of myself as living in the rich neighborhood until I stopped and thought, we're literally giving out hot dogs and pizza and s'mores. Maybe I do. So, you know. Should you celebrate all the pagan practices? No. Can you invite your neighbors and connect with your community? By all means. I know where I'm getting my hot dogs and pizza this Halloween. (laughs) You bet. I might not have pizza because I have new neighbors, and I don't know if they'll bring pizza, but I will have hot dogs and fire. All right. You guys got to help me hold them accountable. Uh, Next question is the Sabbath. Is it on Saturday or Sunday? Does it matter? I don't care. Doesn't matter. So originally it was on Saturday. It was the end of the week, the last day of the week. 
And Jewish people will still practice Sabbath on Saturdays. And technically, they begin on Friday night at sundown until Saturday night at sundown. And the reason they do it that way is if you read in the Genesis creation, there is evening and then there is day, and it was good. That's the way it reads. And so they begin in the evening and then move to the, the day. Now, the beauty of doing that sort of Sabbath is you actually begin your Sabbath day in sleep and rest. That's a pretty passive thing that God is doing for you and you're not doing on your own. And that's nice. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning, the church, early Christians, said, hey, we should celebrate this new life we have in Christ. And they moved from evening to evening, and they moved it to Sunday morning until Sunday night. And the reason they did that was to say, we begin our life not in darkness, but in light, with new life. This is what Christ has given. Let's celebrate. And you can celebrate either day. Now, some of you may work a lot of Saturdays and Sundays. Did you know I work almost every Sunday? And so Sabbathing on Sunday is really difficult for me. So if you picked a Wednesday to Sabbath or a Monday to Sabbath or a Thursday, it doesn't matter. You just pick a day and begin to practice. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk a lot more of very tangible things you can do with your Sabbath to experience the fullness of God whatever day you choose. Nice. Um, next question is, should Christians abstain from going to businesses or restaurants on Sunday so that even non-Christian employees can have Sabbath rest based on Exodus 20, verse 10? From... Yeah, I would say it's certainly worth strongly considering. Could you imagine if you avoided all restaurants and grocery shopping on your day of rest? That would force you to go grocery shopping on a different day. That would be so hard to plan ahead. I don't know. It'd be tough. But perhaps there is a real value, and we'll talk more about this, in saying as I learn to rest, I'm going to create habits in my life that invite other people to rest as well. So maybe not shopping on those days is a good practice. Uh, yeah, there's lots of questions coming in about this. So uh, next question, is it okay to volunteer on the Sabbath? Yes. <laughs> Spoken from a true volunteer who's been here for years volunteering. So if you would like to take her break, her, her place so she can have a break, she will gladly train you on live stream or lights or pretty much anything back there except for sound. That's Chris. He'll train you on that, all right? Uh, next question is, one of the local artists for the event, Dolly Parton? Sadly, no. Dang. Uh, they apparently approached her a few, or a few years ago for season one, and I don't think they got her to say yes, but they almost got her to say yes, so I was hoping she'd be here for this one, because that would be awesome but I don't think she's on the docket unless she's a surprise guest, then that'd be awesome. Uh, looks like there's another one here. There's friends and neighbors of the Thailands that had a house fire, uh, mom and dad plus six children, and there's help wanted there. Yeah, um, come talk to me and let's figure out a way that we as a church can help and love and serve, absolutely. Let me refresh once more, but I think that's it. That was a good list of them. You texted me personally. Oh, I didn't look at me, my personal ones. All right, let's see what Kalen has to say. All right, now I'm putting you on the spot. See, if you text me personally, it's not private. Actually, I don't see your, t your question come through, so I'll have to find it, and we'll chat later. How's that sound? Now, if you have more specific questions about, like, the do's and don'ts of Sabbath, 
Good news, we're not done with talking about it, okay? So I invite you to just keep coming back for the next several weeks, joining us online or in person, and I will address a whole lot more of how you can tangibly Sabbath and learn to rest each week. I am really, really excited. We did this practice three years ago, and when my wife and I began to put it into practice, it totally changed our world. And then we bought a house, and all of our Sabbaths were consumed with renovating a house, and we got out of the habit, and we noticed the difference. And so, like, my kids and my wife and I, we're really excited to get back to the practice because it truly does change everything. So... With that, as you go this week, you can pick up those Sabbath devotional guides. They're in the back. They're really, really helpful. I'll be uh, referencing them from time to time in the next few weeks. They're $10, which is discounted from what you can get them online. Um, Feel free to pick one up in the back before you go. But otherwise, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the contact us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the point ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.